Hello and welcome to episode 53 of the Perth to Paisley podcast, a podcast dedicated to the soon-to-be largest fan-owned club in Britain, Heart of Midlothian Football Club. The Jambos dropped their first Scottish Premiership points of the season against Aberdeen and here to dissect the draw with the Dons at Tynecastle with me, Adam Kennedy, is Daniel McIver. McIver, how are we? I'm doing fantastic. I've had three people, I have to speak about it because I've had three people saying they listen to the podcast and they want to talk about it. Um, this weekend, I didn't care about the Hearts result at all. I've said to you and I've said to people as well that if we got beat 10-0, it didn't matter because uh, you may have seen on Twitter, CM Punk returned to wrestling. And I had three people ask me this and I've worked it out for you. Somebody went, I don't watch wrestling like most people. Can you explain it in a Hearts context to explain how big it is? And I was like, absolutely. It would be the equivalent of now, in this transfer window, Rudy Scatcho coming back at his age and going on to become player of the year for us and being still at the top of his level, but it's around 10 times as big as that. It's insane. So loads of uh, your friend who you know, and this is how we've become friends over the weekend, David, your pars mate. Oh, David we've become Buick. friends. Yeah, we've become mates over the weekend <laughs> over this. And it's been so funny to see so many Scottish football accounts that I follow also speaking about it and patching Scottish football. So I'm fantastic, despite the dropped points. How are you? Yeah, I, I'm all right, mate. I'm certainly in a much better nick than I was on Sunday before and after the match, <laughs> um, being out Saturday night. Um, but yeah, no, it, I mean, I think we're as well just kind of talking about the best news with regards to Hearts. Um, and that is the handover, obviously, yep. through which the Foundation of Hearts will become the majority shareholder in the Heart of Midlothian, um, taking place a week today. We obviously record the Monday, so Monday the 30th of August, celebrated now as Heart and Soul Day. What are your thoughts with regards to the handover, the name, this move for the Mighty Jam Tarts? I think the name's cool. I think it's cool that they've like named it. It's not just like, oh yeah, this is the day. I, th- I think that is pretty cool. Um, it's just, it's just amazing. It's just amazing. When I saw the tweet, it just takes you back to that day so many years ago now, which is quite scary to think about. Just, I woke up going, "Am I going to have a football club at the end of today?" Like we did, we were genuinely that close to disappearing. And to now go so many years in the future and knowing that we're going to become the biggest fan-owned club in the UK is just insane. It's almost hard to describe. It's going to be quite an emotional day, I imagine, uh, for a lot of people. Um, there's little things like the strip we had in that first championship season. Like it, That was a very physical way of looking at what the foundation has done and being able to help us and now this isn't a physical thing in terms of that you can see but it's the biggest thing because we are now technically going to be able to say that we are owners of a football club and not just any football club our football club that we support it's just insane how how did you feel when you first saw it just ecstatic i mean it, it really is bizarre i think you always know as a hearts fan just how big the fan base is but when you actually consider what Hearts fans have done it really is remarkable considering 
you know, the amount of other clubs within the United Kingdom. You know, there's something like 92 English league clubs. The mm-hmm. fact that we are going to be fan-owned and obviously in that context, bigger than all of them, really is crazy. Um, and it's just, it just highlights the fantastic contribution from several Hearts fans like you, me, all of us in saving the club and having us in a great position that, let's be frank, we haven't been accustomed to as, as young Jambos. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Like, when we were really wee, we had obviously Robinson in charge and the Save Our Hearts campaign. I, I, I have some form of memories of that. I remember being on one of the protests and having the fridge magnets of Save Our Hearts and stuff like that. Um, and then the Romanov era, which is the most high and low example of football in the world, I'd imagine. Um, and then, as we said, the administration process and the worry and everything like that is just... There's been times where we've been like, this, nothing can be better than this, and times where it's like, nothing can be worse than this. And to be able to have the stability we've had over the years, it, it over the last kind of six, seven years in terms of finances, not stability in terms of the park and the football, but in terms of off-the-field stuff, it genuinely has been a relief, and it is incredible that it has come from us. Obviously, so much credit for this has to be given to Anne Budge, regardless of our personal feelings towards our stewardship on the pitch and stuff like that. Without Anne Budge, we wouldn't be in this position to be able to become the biggest fan-owned um, club in the UK but just the repeated every single year the literal millions of pounds that just people like us have put into the club is is incredible and we deserve to have this moment next week Couldn't put it any better than that mate we might be a soap opera on the park but at least off the park we're in a, a healthier place now than we have been for a, a long long time Absolutely so the last time that I was hosting, we gave you the chance to win this fantastic John Souter print, courtesy of our pals at Goldframe Prints, um, after he headed the winner against Celtic at Tynecastle um, on the opening day. And we're delighted to announce that Kieran McKnight, you are the winner of said print. We shall contact you on Twitter, get it all arranged, get it sent out to you. So congratulations, and we'll get that to you as soon as we can. 100% also thank you to everyone who engaged with it as well I, I'll be peel back the curtain a wee bit we were slightly worried that like one person would be involved with it and that person's name was David Kennedy however thankfully lots of people engaged with it um, apologies to anyone who didn't win however across the season and in beyond I'm sure we'll have other giveaways to do so stick around and also the biggest gift is that you get to listen to our fantastic takes on football. So, you've all won in a way. Yeah. Don't <laughs> sigh! Don't <laughs> sigh! What's that for? We're fantastic at this. We never get any abuse. Everybody agrees with us all the time. It's no, great. of course. I mean, Hearts fans are always in harmony. Um, yes, yeah. they are. Always yes. singing from the, the same hymn sheet. Yes, exactly. But, of course, if we get into the action... Um, we're going to go around the grounds first, have a look at what went on in Scottish Premiership match day three. Um, Saturday afternoon, there were two matches, both three o'clock kickoffs. 
Celtic getting the better of St Mirren by six goals to nil at Parkhead and Motherwell coming from behind to win at Livingston by two goals to one. There was also a quartet of Sunday matches, ourselves obviously included with the one-all draw at Aberdeen as one of three three o'clock kickoffs. However, Dundee hosted Hibernian um, and drew to each in the 12 o'clock kickoff, the early kickoff on Sunday. And then Hearts Aberdeen uh, at three, Ross County Rangers and St Johnston nil, Dundee United won. Um, of course, Rangers winning 4-2 up in Dingwall. So, what did you make of the action, mate? Did you catch sports scene? Any of the highlights? What What were your thoughts? Yeah, so I watched sports scene. Um, there was kind of... I had a couple of big takeaways from each game, actually, which I haven't really in the past three weeks, but I saw a lot of people about the Celtics at Mirren game go... Oh, that's quite surprising because Jack Annex had a reasonably good start to the season, uh, especially against us. He made that save against Michael Smith and generally kept it quite reasonable. However, as a Newcastle fan, that was the actual Jack Annex playing. At least half of those goals were his fault. Shockers, weren't they? Yeah, it, that's what he's like. He, he flaps at everything. Um, I understand, obviously, that he has done well recently for St Mirren, but... He had that flash when he first came into the Newcastle side. Uh, he was replacing Tim Crew at the time, who was kind of dropping off. So it was kind of just, it's a new goalkeeper, hooray! And he made a couple of saves. Uh, but he really fell away. And obviously, Celtic deserve, you don't win 6 0 and not deserve to win the game. No, but you're right in that he made contact with a good couple of them, and you can hear it sort of. You, can, you know, when you hear the ball being touched by the goalkeeper but it still has like enough power to beat them then it's just doesn't stand you in the best stead does it yeah exactly uh, Livingston look absolutely atrocious right now Thank they just look like they yes I know they were my call for 12th spot I had folk ridiculing me I tell you no surprise to me rubbish they just look atrocious both the Motherwell goals were so preventable just from basic concentration uh, moving on to the, the Sunday games Hibs Dundee was a really good game from a neutral perspective um, obviously two former players scoring against their former clubs and both of them not giving a fuck about celebrating <laughs> which I always rate I always rate that um, Jason Cummings in particular though on this occasion yes exactly <laughs> um, Hibs I can't work Hibs out because at times they looked really good like Particularly Porteous's goal and the general build-up around that was like it was really well taken. It's a great but finish. then, yeah, exactly, it, really well taken goal. But then Dundee's equaliser was horrific defending. <laughs> Alex Gojic in the middle of the park looked terrible. Um, so I honestly don't know what they're going to do. St Johnston just look weird. St. Johnston looks so weird this season because they've kept most of the players that they had this season but I don't know if just playing in Europe is taking the Euro, pressure. It's Euro hangover, isn't it? It's proven sort yeah. of detrimental to the domestic stuff. I think traditionally though St. Johnston are quite slow starters. They'll probably go on some like yeah. remarkable mid-season run and be right up our arses before we know it. That's true. Obviously Dundee United got the win. Peter Paul had scored but they got sent off so they had a mental game. Um, Let's talk about that by the way. What about the two bookings? The first one for celebrating in the crowd and the second is for one of the worst dives I think I've ever seen. I don't know what he's doing. Like, because there could be contact in it. Like, he kind of... If he waits for the contact more, I think he'd get it. 
but he properly is like he's about to touch me he's about to touch me and then just like flombees to the ground he's fully anticipated Murray Davidson to just go through him isn't he yeah um, it's mental but that's I mean that's a bonus obviously that he'll be out for next week but yeah. certainly could have done without United stringing two 1-0 wins back to back in the Premiership that's for sure um, I know and then Rangers was a wee bit surprising that they conceded twice but comfortable like scoring four they looked alright back to kind of their winning ways but there is evidently a kind of weakness there that wasn't there last season and I'm not saying it's a coincidence that we've come back into the league and they're going they ruined us the season before last and we can't and we're just around and it's doing us but I'm also saying I'm not saying it didn't happen like that I think um, you raise a good point defensively you know that was that was sort of their backbone wasn't it that's why they were Mm. so successful Um, and Ross County before the weekend were the only side in the entire SPFL to have not scored a league goal so the fact that they've scored two against let's face it the the best team in the country if we're gauging off of last season is mental Um, and they had a couple of chances to actually haul themselves you know firmly back into the game so yeah bizarre I mean I think it's something like 22 goals in the six games so it's just it's just brilliant that the football's back, isn't it? There's no time yeah. like the start of the season. I absolutely exactly. love it. However, we are, of course, going to dissect the draw with the Dons at Tynecastle. Um, that's now seven points out of nine. Not really sure what to start other than to kind of go through the team and we can gauge our kind of first half thoughts. So Craig Gordon in goal, uh, a back three of John Souter, Craig Halkett and Alex Cochran in the absence of Stephen Kingsley. A midfield quartet of Michael Smith at right wing back, Benny Beningame and Peter Hanning in the middle of the park with Andy Halliday at left wing back and Josh Janelli and Gary Mackay-Steven supporting Liam Boyce up front. When you first saw the team, Mr McIver, what did you think? I had two main thoughts. One, where's Stephen Kingsley? Is he fine? Is he okay? I hope to God he is. And secondly, oh, we've not even used the full bench. We need signings. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much my exact same two thoughts. Um, I don't think. Do you know we're gonna talk? We're obviously gonna get into the game, but I think Sunday was proof of just how light we are to an extent. I think mm-hmm. if we look at kind of injuries sustained within the ninety minutes, Michael Smith goes down injured, John Souter goes down injured, and we've spoken at length about kind of the importance of particular players within the system. You could argue, and you'd have a strong argument case, that they are perhaps the most two important players within said system. Yeah, exactly. And the the biggest worry wasn't just that, oh, they're going down injured. It's that you look at the bench and there's no one there. Like, there was literally no replacement. You were going to have to... We'll get into it, but a lot of people were saying that one of the substitutions was bring Mac and F on and drop Haring into the defence. But that is still technically a midfielder being played out of position. The bench only had midfield and attacking options on it. And obviously, Robbie's made it very clear both after this game and in the week that we've just had that we're nowhere near finished in the transfer window. He still wants to get, what he said, three or four in after the result. And you have to imagine at least one of them surely is a defender. Um, That was the biggest fear. It was just... I've been saying it, I think, every week since we came back 
for the season. If Michael Smith gets hurt, we have no one to cover him. If John Suter gets hurt and Kingsley isn't fully fit, we have no one to cover him. So that was the panic. Obviously, the, the other panic was just Suter going down seemingly on his own and the entire stadium just held its breath and was like, if this is it, we're going down. Like, that's it. Um, but he was fine and he clearly is okay. But we can't just rely on John Suter not breaking for the whole season. No, we can't. Um, and I think if we touch on the first half, really the best chance of that first 45 was Hearts' defence being breached. Um, mm-hmm. Teddy Jenks and Fuzo, Funzo Ojo sorry, play a, a bit of a 1-2 sort of in the middle of the park as, as Aberdeen look to break. It's then shipped out wide to Lewis Ferguson who sends a lovely ball through to Christian Ramirez. He should score, but is that yeah. just a, a superb save from Craig Gordon? Does that prove why he will be so vital for us this season? Yeah, that's 1-0 with 10 of the other 11 goalkeepers in the Prem in goals. Like, that's just an unbelievable save. But it it didn't even feel that unbelievable because it's Gordon. It kind of was just like, oh, that's a good save. Bog but then you watch it, it back. Yeah, then you watch it back and it's unbelievable um, that definitely was the best chance of that first half but I would say generally we were the better team in the first half Aberdeen just didn't really get a foot on the ball we didn't do a lot with it in terms of attacking but we totally dominated particularly in that first half Herring and Benny just ran they were just like we're going to get the ball and play it off and we're going to dictate where the ball goes I say that though on the flip side Halliday and Smith were atrocious. <laughs> they were shockingly bad. And whilst we were the better side, there were so many times where you were just like, are they paying attention? Like, that it was fundamental, like, passes out of play and not being able to trap the ball and not playing a five-yard pass. And it was like, are you two all right? Were you out? Were they out with you on Saturday night? Is that what the situation was? I mean, I didn't see them at Bourbon uh, on Frederick Street come Saturday night. But uh, listen, I think <laughs> I think there could be a case. I wouldn't be surprised to discover if either were actually there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think their chance with Ramirez was the only real one. I'd, my sort of main gripe within the first half was us creating very little. You know, I, I don't mm. think Joe Lewis had a save to make other than Josh Janelli's deflected cross from Johnny Hayes, which, you know, it's one of them where if he can't really afford to gamble and let it go, I think he just it's an insurance thing to kind of yeah. divert it away and whatnot. But let's let's touch on the, the wing-backs. You've obviously mentioned them both there. How many times did we get into decent positions through Michael Smith and Andy Halliday but I just felt as though the delivery was terrible. It was, um, I noticed it particularly with Halliday, but Smith did a thing that was equally as frustrating because Smith would just not put it in, but play it off to someone right beside him, noticeably Janelli a lot of the time. And it was like, that that does nothing. Like, do you know standing two yards away from you, you are in the exact same position as him, basically. Just swing a ball in. Yeah, he's not advanced or anything like that. It's, it's exactly. It does seem to... It'd be bizarre of us to say that Michael Smith's kind of 
passing the buck because he's not that type of player. I feel as though, if anything, he was one of the players previously that always seemed to show for possession. But that was that, probably one of, if not his poorest game for us, I thought, on Sunday. That was 100% his worst game. Just nothing was working for him. And then on the other side, Halliday was doing the opposite, which was as infuriating, where he had passes that were just like, Benny was constantly showing for him, but yards away. So it was a good, actual, logical pass that would then break up the play and be able to play it forward. But he was just like, no, I'm just going to keep drilling this into feet. And it just, I don't think he beat the, the right back at all in that first half with his crosses because every single one of them wasn't leaving the ground or it was just directly hitting them. And it's like, that that's just nothingness. I think Halliday was worse in the second half because it was fun. The guys, the guys who were sitting behind me in the first half were kind of complimentary of Halliday. They were like, right, nothing's coming off for him, but he's trying. Then about 10 minutes into the second half, I heard one of them go, Right, we can't defend this anymore. How is he still in the park? Like, and I was like, that's not even me saying it. It was just... It was just awful. As he has been for 95% his time with us. <laughs> I think... Um, I think I was perhaps probably more astounded with Michael Smith. You know, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, watched, I watched the pre-match press conference before we started the pod. Mm-hmm. And Michael Smith was talking about how... He's kind of loving the shape. The gaffer seems to really like it. It gives him the chance to kind of roam forward and whatnot. And then lo and behold, he turns out that performance. Like, it's just, it's so hearts. It's like uncanny. You know, how many times have we seen players talk a good game and then it it ends up backfiring and we're made to look like total numpties? Yeah, 100%. On the flip side of that, I will say, the three at the back, who obviously transitions into a five when the wing-backs drop back, the three at the back I thought were solid. Cochrane has just been... like I love Cochrane already because he's not doing anything flashy. You're not. It's not like Benny. Benny's impact has come in and just been like, he's the best player in the world. Cochrane <laughs> is quietly getting on with everything and just being consistent. He's like, I'm there, I'll break that up. I went he's under the that. radar, isn't he? Exactly. Like, I genuinely don't think he's put a foot wrong. I will get into the second half because there was issues with him in the second half, but I just think that we're totally out of his control. But Halkett... The biggest positive I can say for Halkett is is that he didn't let last weekend affect him. I thought he looked fantastic. He's, it's so clear, by the way, that he's better in the middle of a three. Yeah, because we 100%. changed shape. We changed back to a four in the second half and he started to look a bit shakier but when he's in the middle of that three he's just a different player like he looks like the player that we saw at Livingston and then Suter was John Suter who's and that, like and uh, listen we've run out of superlatives for, for John Suter that goes without saying yeah. I am delighted that you brought up Craig Halkett though because let's be frank we received a, a fair bit of stick for <laughs> for yeah. singling him out for odds on Edward's yeah. goal with particular Parkhead but I, I too was pleased with Craig Halkett. I thought he had a really good game in a defensive sense. I think, mm-hmm. you know, playing out from the back's not his game. I thought there were times where he could have opted to kind of pass these teammates as opposed to just clearing his lines. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in terms of, you know, what he's being asked to do, he did that pretty professionally on, on Sunday, I thought. Um, so, so no, I, I totally agree with you, Ari Halkett. 
the middle of the park, Benny Beningame, I'm just going to come out and say it now, he he has the potential to be our record sale. There you go. I think that is the best money-making signing Hearts have made since John Souter, arguably. Um, there was a moment, we're not in the second half yet, but we're speaking about this, there was a moment in the second half where I think it was around the 70th minute or something like that. Um, Aberdeen looked to break on the counter from our corner. Benny obviously is one of the players that sits back because he's tiny and that is his role, like it's to break up play. They had a four on two and Benny, Cochrane was like sprinting back to try and just be like, shit, shit, shit. Benny, all he did was took a single step forward in a diagonal line picked up the ball of whoever it was, held it, three players surrounded him, he just kind of, he didn't do that thing that technical players do where they like nip it past somebody and go past, he didn't do that thing that more defensive players do where they play it off and then do that, he just brute forced his way through the three of them with the ball at his feet and then played it out wide um, to I think it was Michael (coughs) Smith and it was at that moment I went, Oh wait, yeah, we've got him. Like he's our play. He's not like it's not like he's on loan. Like we've got him on a three-year deal. How have we done this? That's exactly what I was going to ask you. <laughs> There's no chance he's seen out the three years, is there? There's no chance he's seen out this season, mate. He's going to be gone in January. Honestly, I I can't recall. I think he's the best signing that we made in a good few years. Like, considering the amount of signings that we've seen in the Anbudge era alone, you, you could probably even put the case forward that he's one of, if not the best signings of the Budge era, full stop. And he's only played three league games. Obviously, I will say, he has only played three league games, but he has looked like... Because after the Celtic game, my one criticism of him was I, I don't think his positioning was too good. Within a game, it, he fixed it. It was just like, oh, okay, I now understand this system. That's it. Like, I never doubted him on the ball. Has he ever lost it? Genuinely. (laughs) I know he's been fouled sometimes. He's been fouled. Or when it's like he had like five guys surrounding him and he just got nicked away. But seeing like general play, I can't think of a time where he actually lost the ball. Yeah, his retention must be second to none. That's that's maybe one for kind of the Maroon Report or Heart Stats or... So someday of that ilk. So Gary, if you're if you're watching, you know, get on the case. Um, yes. But yeah, I mean, the first half, like I say, my only gripe was kind of the lack of opportunities being created. Do you feel as though there's the need for both Haring and Beringame? Because I've got to be honest here, mate. I agreed with you, Ari. The three central defenders. I thought Big Pete was miles off it on Sunday, and again, that's not like him. Um, I, I love Peter Haring, but as a big enforcer, I think he can play. Didn't see that on Sunday. I felt as though he was so indecisive, and he was wanting about a week on the ball, and you're just not afforded that time in Scotland for me. So this is uh, Haring has been the player that has split opinion the most on Twitter. I've seen some people say he was one of the best players in the park. I've seen some people say he was the worst player in the side. And I think the majority of us are more in the middle. I think off the ball, he was one of our best players in terms of his positioning, 
he broke up play a lot. There was a couple of times where there was a I can't remember when it was, but there was a chance where him and Boyce lost the ball, kind of in the top far end towards the far end of the wheat field, and he tracked back about twenty five yards and from behind just did a perfect sliding challenge to pick it up and then play it out to GMS. Stuff like that was fantastic. On the ball, I agree. He was taking too much time. He he just didn't seem to be able to find a pass. And particularly in the last kind of 15 minutes, he, he was just blown out his arse. Like, he was, he just looked knackered. Um, it's weird. F- Craig Fowler spoke about this, where I think Haring and Benny work well as a duo, and I don't have a problem, really, with us playing two DMs in this 3-4-3. The problem comes with it is with the wing-backs if they have a game like they did yesterday where they're not getting forward and they're not attacking. Because and there's then, no creativity and whatnot coming yeah, from. Yeah, agreed. It, it means that Gino, GMS and Boyce are the only players who can create something. And yet, very early on saw that. Gino, GMS and Boyce, from the first minute, were doing really well to press the back line. Mm-hmm. But Smith and Halliday weren't. So it was really easy for the Aberdeen back two. It then to goes be, into like, a di- five-two-three, doesn't it? From a Hearts perspective, yes, given the, exactly. that, they, that they were that deep, I, I'm intrigued. So, to me, I think a creative midfielder is high in the priority pile. Um, would you like Beningame and Haring for if the old firm come to town, say, or are you just content with that full stop? I think it's it's a good headache to have, I think. I think some people are looking at it as a negative thing. I think it's a good thing because when... Listen, this is just because I don't want Howard in the team. But when we have Kingsley back, I don't want Kingsley to be the centre-half anymore. I want Cochrane to stay as the centre-half and, and Kingsley, Kingsley to be the wing-back. Interesting. Yeah. So I want Kingsley and Smith to be the full-backs. Because generally, Smith does really well. Like, especially in the League Cup game, Smith was just fucking everywhere. If he does that again, and Kingsley has shown that he's good attacking, I don't think we need to worry about having Haring and Benny in the same team at the same time because it has you have that support from the wing-backs. If, however, we have a game like we did yesterday, which will absolutely happen more than just yesterday, <laughs> then... Yeah, then you can't have Haring and Benny together. You need to have what will most likely be Benny and then either Mac and F, but I still don't think he's the creative... I don't think he's as creative as we need him to be. That's what I was we'll going to into... will Aaron Mac and F be that guy, but not, not for you? I don't think he I don't, probably is for me. I don't think so. I think he's got... He's definitely, out of who we currently have, the most creative, because yeah. we will speak about the new signing soon who I think will be that person to do it. Oh. But I think if you look at... Because Cammy Devlin is the same as what we have. He's a defensive-minded centre midfielder. It, it is a weird one. If the two come... If Cammy Devlin comes in and does really well and it actually turns out that with Benny sitting in the way that he has been, it allows Devlin to push forward a bit because for his side... In New Zealand in particular, he did that a lot. I saw he was sitting in a two. um, His side in the season he was there played a 4-2-3-1, funnily enough. Um, And he was, despite there being a 10 in front of him, 
he was often the more advanced one despite still being quite a defensive player he has no problem sitting back but with Benny you kind of don't need another one of him and if Devlin comes in and can show that he can push forward that's the biggest thing we need I don't think we need another player coming in to be like I'll get the assists I'll get the goals I think it just needs to be a, a middleman between the, the one and the front three Benny Beningame you know the season when Leicester won the league and in Golo mm-hmm. Kante everybody was ranting and raving about him and Gary Lineker said something along the lines of you can get away with playing Kante and somebody else because Kante's that good he essentially acts as though they've got three in midfield mm-hmm. I get that impression with Benny Beningame and I'd love for us to find that creative partner so it's interesting that you've touched on the new signing potentially being that guy um, but we'll get to that later on um, yep that first half, um, I thought there was a shout for a penalty that would have been soft. Calvin Ramsey on Josh Ginelli. Um, but that was after, without a doubt, the, the best part about the first half for me um, on 26 minutes, the tributes to Marius Aliukas. Um What did you make of that? Oh, it was just great. And it was actually, like, coordinated and good and everybody who had a scarf myself included and me was doing it um it was just it was that scarf there that i managed to find after hours of looking in the house um but it was just amazing and having that moment for him obviously listen i i am in a very lucky position i'm not sure if you're in the same way covid has impacted me in terms of i've had to work from home I've not been able to see family members, but I am lucky enough to not have lost anyone during this time. A lot of people who went to that game yesterday will have, and a lot of people who went to that game yesterday will have lost people that they would normally go to the game with. So to have just that moment, and the game generally, just everybody back, and particularly that twirly on the 26th minute, it was like, it was one of those moments where it's like, the game is almost secondary, that's the moment that I hope that's the moment we'll remember from this game we won't remember the second half performance we won't remember how Halliday was rubbish and Smith was rubbish we'll remember that that was the first game back and we had that moment for Zal and it was amazing very aptly put couldn't have put that any better myself Um, into the second half you could argue that Hearts did more within the first 10 minutes of that second half than they had done for the entirety of the first 45. So much so that at the game, I missed um, Hearts being awarded the penalty. I did then see it uh, with pie in hand um, after my pie debacle that I told you, obviously, before we recorded. Um, I think Josh Ginelli had... <laughs> I think Josh Ginelli had an effort from range where he'd sort of test Joe Lewis, but nothing really comes of it. Um and then, of course, the the moment that I am referring to, Gary McKay Stephen goes down under the challenge of Declan Gallagher after receiving from Andy Halliday. Stonewaller for you, mate? No. I think it's less of a penalty than the one in the first half. Do you? Yeah, I think they're both soft, right? I think I could understand them both being given, and I can understand neither of them being given. And Bobby Madden took ages to decide. He blew his whistle and then was like, am I going to give this as a free kick to him in a dive or a penalty? And he gives a penalty. I'm not complaining about it. I think 
if that happened to us, I'd be going, that's really soft yeah, back in game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I hear that. But by the same score, I mean, I was screaming for it. I don't know about you. Oh, yeah, of course. I was Because <laughs> I'm up the back of section R. So it happened like in front of me. And I was up off my seat going, what the fuck? That's a clear and then I've as seen as it back I, the noise, I, was, I just started making noise at the fight kiosk I had no idea what was going on but I was just <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was just shouting so you've got just to scream for it even if you're not there just an image of like a delay of everybody going mental that there's one wee voice be like ah! as they just stand in with a pie and I got the wrong pie but we'll, we'll get into that never mind um, yeah and then obviously Liam Boyce coolly dispatches I did see that um, and then even more, noise, even more noise was made after that, so so that's yeah. great. Um, but yeah, I mean, how frustrating for you is our start to the second half when folk will argue that that's exactly how we should have started the first half? It was quite annoying, <laughs> despite us winning at that point and doing well. It was like, oh, for God's sake, where has this been? Because that was, in my opinion... The one thing missing from the first half, we dominated the ball, we looked the better side, but what was missing was the spark. And we got that spark in the opening 10. It was like, fuck it. Why does it take you 50 minutes to just push forward and look competent footballers at times? Particularly when they played in Baku in midweek. I mean, I, I was discussing it with my pals that I was at the game with. You know, if you'd have got a random neutral that had no idea of any awareness and said, oh, one of these teams have, has played in Azerbaijan and has made a 7,000-mile round trip, they'd probably look toward us as being the ones that were leggy, lethargic. Just, we generally looked fatigued, and I can't understand exactly why that was the case. But especially in the last 15 minutes. I oh. felt in the last 15, we looked shattered. But but why why is that why is that the case? I don't. Are we still chasing shadows from Parkhead or what's the score? I don't know. It is a weird. That was probably the most alarming thing I took from the game. Yeah. On Sunday I think so. because it was like, like listen, I all cards on the table. I think a draw was a totally fair result. I think yeah. we were the better side Agreed. in the first half. Aberdeen were the better side in the second half mainly because of one man who I'm going to get to soon 100% um, and so it's kind of one of the games where it's like oh listen aye a draw is a fair result you're playing against a side that finished fourth last season who are playing in Europe like you can't complain too much about no beating them but at the same time it was like but G- they, sh- they should be the t- yeah exactly given we're ahead against a side that just played days earlier and had this massive round trip you have to go like at least by the final whistle, we should be looking like we're still going for it more than them. But it it was the complete opposite. No, it was. I think that was virtually from when we scored, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. I don't think that... You know, I can't remember any other real chances after that, bar Aberdeen equalising. Um, I can. Go on. The GMS sitter. Was that not before the pen? Oh, it might have done, it but we need to speak pen, about that. We that. need to speak about right. that. Talk to me, because I'm... I oh, mi- my I, God. I, I missed it. Yeah, it was before the penalty, because I missed it. And one of my pals then said to me, Gary mckay Steven missed an open goal. So... It's not as bad as his Dundee miss. It's not, but, but nothing will ever be as bad no. as his Dundee miss. <laughs> no. 
And I um, love GMS, but I can't, I can't stick up yeah. from here. So the ball gets played down the far side. Gino does really well, actually. It was probably his best moment of the game. Um, beats a couple of guys, gets a ball in, it deflects massively. Joe Lewis tries to claim it and just fumbles it completely. Benny does a great wee pass out to GMS, and all GMS has to do is just pass it into the net. I know I've seen some people go, Well, there's two Aberdeen players in the line. It's like, aye, but he's got the whole goal to aim for. Like, if that if he had put that on target and it had been saved, you would go, that's one of the best goal clearances we'll see this season. Like it would have been superhuman. But no, he just He should score. It. He's got to score. Yeah, like he should score with his eyes shut. But he just passes it past the far post and it was like you just sat head in hands like for 30 seconds after it going how- oh yeah because I remember going how are we not ahead here yeah so it was before the penalty yeah because yeah. I, I don't think that we really conjured anything else after Boyce scoring um, no the introduction that you were alluding to was J. Emmanuel Thomas um, yeah. and I, I felt as though he gave Andy Halliday in particular a torrid time down that right hand side when I saw Conor McLennan go down injured I was like, oh, okay. I know that Aberdeen are a bit light as it goes. You know, obviously Ryan Hedges was out. Johnny Hayes has somehow made it, but even then he was hooked as well. Um, and I'd, I'd seen various Aberdeen fans ridiculing J. Emmanuel Thomas for kind of his, his Don's career so far. So I think I was taken aback just by how good he was. Um, and you could argue that his introduction changed the game. So I have a family member who is an Aberdeen fan and I spoke to him after the game and he said that that was the best performance Jay's put in so far and I was like, this is typical Hearts. <laughs> of course, of course he has his best game against us. He ju- we couldn't deal with him. No one could. Halliday was made to look like a kid against him. It looked like a man against a boy. It was unbelievable. This is what I was talking about when I said earlier about Cochrane. I just don't think it's his fault because Cochrane like is a tiny wee guy and they clearly just went to Jet stay on him all the time. So Cochrane kept getting turned out inside out. Then Halkett started getting turned inside out when he moved more centrally. And we just got to the point where it was just like, just kick him. And then even then we couldn't get the ball off him. He he was my man of the match completely Benny was our man of the match in terms of for us but generally just in terms of an impact of the game and the game it literally just switched he yeah. he started because he, he came on the first half for that injury and he was played through the middle but they came out the second half and he was moved out to the right and that just changed it they just looked like a different team and everything was going through him and listen fair play to him like I hope he does quite well because I, I liked him last season at Livingston. I, I didn't watch a lot of the Prem, but what I did see, he often used to be involved. And I was like, I like you because you're different. You're not just a typical striker that comes in. Like, he's, he's massive. He is hu- That's the first time, obviously, I've seen him in person. He and he's boy, just... He's giant. And I think when Aberdeen play Celtic, for example, and he's up against Starfelt, and... Yeah, it's a good battle. Isn't it's it? going to be great. It I, seems, I am genuinely. It's like Lyndon Dykes versus Julian, kind of all over again, isn't it? It's got that sort of feel about it. 
100%. And listen, fair play to him because he did change it. I'm furious that he did, but he did and we just, we could not handle him at all. I don't want to touch on, you know, my fantastic prediction with Livingston too much. Um, But what I would say is that when I watched Livy a couple times toward the back end of last season, kind of on streams and stuff, he looked like their sole goal threat. Mm. And then obviously now that he's at Aberdeen... um, he's obviously Livingston's loss and it seems to be Aberdeen's gain if if they know how to utilise him properly Um, he seems just like a kind of quick Uche or a quicker Uche I should say he's not quick but a quicker Uche that can play a bit Um, but of course Aberdeen then do draw level Um, Funzo Ojo's first goal for the Dons Got to be honest, I thought the initial ball in from Christian Ramirez was the warning sign. I thought that was a yeah. very inviting ball that should have been stabbed home by you know anybody that's within kind of that six yard box or whatnot. But then comes over to the other side, Dean Campbell swings it back in. Funzo Ojo at the near post just does enough to divert it past Craig Gordon. Aberdeen then level, probably deservedly so on the balance of play, and then from then on in. I felt as though there was only going to be one winner in that match um, and it wasn't us it's a really good goal in terms of the whole move generally it's just Jet was involved with it he plays it off to Ramirez who as you say that ball coming across you was just like this is going to go in uh, Gino is completely asleep he just doesn't follow Campbell at all he just he realises it as well the ball gets fizzed across and you see him panic and go oh I'm not get, I'm not getting to him at all there's nothing Craig Gordon can do about it at all. Smith, I you could argue should be clearing it because it goes under his foot, but it is coming at a lot of pace. It's just a good goal. I will say this. I never felt... See, when they equalised, I then went, this is finishing a draw. No one's winning this. I just personally... Yeah, absolutely, I fully agree. If, I, if you had said to me, who do you think would win out of the two of them? I would not have said us at all. Like we just never looked like going for anything. No. But I was pretty comfortable with what they dealt with. I was like, we've got Gordon and Goal, Suter and Halkett's having a really good game. They were really good at cleaning everything up. Suter made an amazing block right in front of Gordon. Halkett did really well defensively with almost all his headers. A lot of his headers didn't go to us and he would just heater them at the park. But when you're in the final ten minutes, that's kind of just what you need to like Especially with Aberdeen were gaining momentum and it was like, we just now kind of just need to see this out. I think it was, funnily enough, I'm actually going to use him in a way that I agree with him. I think it was the Corbett from This Is My Story who said that, who was that he, he never felt either that he, either side were actually going to win it. I don't... Now, because we're basically at the end of the game now, it was very much a meh. I think it was... Yeah. First half we were good and the better side... Second half, we were not good, and Aberdeen were the better side. But then from an Aberdeen perspective, you could say the exact same thing. So I think, as we've both said, a draw is a fair result. The biggest thing for me was the subs. I felt that at half-time, GMS should come off for Aaron McInef. When that doesn't happen, I feel 10 minutes into the second half, we should take Halliday off for McInef and drop Haring back into the three and move Cochrane out to left wing-back. We changed the shape to a four-five-one, and it didn't work at all. No, I wasn't happy with that either. Nah, I I felt bad for Boyce, who didn't have a great game for his standards, but 
But again, how many things have we said? You know, sufficient service and he scores. And even then, technically speaking, he does still score. (laughs) Granted, it's a pen, but it's just so isolated. And I don't know what that's, that's down to in terms of the shape. Because if we set out with an attacking game plan, surely with that formation bodies then pile forward but it didn't seem that way and I don't want to say that it was backs against the wall but from from us going 1-0 up I, just no real opportunities and we were hanging on toward the end I felt and, and I, I don't know I don't know why that's the case I don't know why you know there was no real tempo and like I say it was slow I just felt as though not that they were there for the taking per se, but I was just very disappointed with that second half performance, given all the factors that we've touched on. You know, they're knackered, and we just we just didn't seem to take advantage. And I don't know what it's down to. Is it a mentality thing that we're just happy to settle for a point? But then I'm thinking that can't be the case, given we've started the season so well, bar the Parkhead defeat. I I couldn't I, think... put, I couldn't put my finger on why. Hearts didn't go on to effectively seal the deal. Part of it was what Robbie said after the game, and my dad has, uh, is kind of like you, where he he is always really interested in what Nielsen has to say and has often had issues with what Nielsen said. But um, I was on the phone to my dad after the game when we all got home, and my dad was saying that he actually thought Nielsen was spot on with his assessment of the game, where. Uh, Nielsen said we were the better team in the first half and played some really nice stuff, just didn't quite get any many attacking um, areas, whereas the second half we were nowhere near it and he was like I was really disappointed with that he made a comment that I thought is quite telling he looked at that bench and went I've got three options here I can only bring on McInef, Walker and Henderson, I can't bring on Denham and Connor Smith obviously if we had Nandwili the game's different potentially because it, it is another attack and change you could make that could we, I don't think we would have went to the 4-5-1 we probably would have went to a 3-5-2 and he gives us a different and, dimension in that kind of attacking third doesn't he 100% obviously that's out of his hands I hope everything with Nandwell is okay and that he and his family are alright um, Nielsen has said that apparently he will be back in the squad for this weekend against Dundee United so that's that's huge um, I don't know if he'll start um, I don't know if we'll start with a three-five-two, um, but you you never know. But it's it's great to hear that he is coming back because you did feel that you did feel that when we equal eh, when we conceded sorry and the game was equalised, we didn't have anything on the bench to change it because Walker came on for ten minutes and did nothing. Walker just went, I'm not going to get in here. I'm just going to try and kick Scott Brown. It's like we don't need that, mate. We need you to be coming on, and being a flair. At least McIner came on. Exactly, McInef didn't do much else, but he at least tried to be getting the ball and moving forward with it. And All then the substitutions were abysmal. Can I just say? So if yeah. we're touching on McInef and Walker there, neither did anything of any real note. Ewan Henderson gets a thirty-second cameo. What's he meant to do in that time? Like, it's like, unbelievable. How many times have I said that when players have got like a quarter of an hour or twenty minutes? You know, he's brought on on the 90th minute. Is that like a time-wasting thing? Especially because I don't know if you could see this from where you were sitting, but twice he got stripped and ready to come on. And then oh. and then not only did he get told not to come on, he put the bib back on and sat back down. So twice he was ready to come on. What The, the second time he, he put his bib back on was when Smith got hurt. 
And I think Robbie was worried about using the third sub and then Smith having to come off. So that one makes it. I get that. That's understandable because you then have to make a bunch of changes. But the first one, I think it was five minutes before it, where Henderson's ready to come on. It's like, bring him on. There's no excuse then because then that would have given Henderson like 12 minutes. I know it's not a lot of time, but it's still just something. But he got 98 seconds. Like, what's he meant to do in that t- No one could do anything in that time. I, th- I think you summed it up perfectly. Kind of, with the breakdown half by half, we had we had the better rub of the green in the first half. I wouldn't say we were dominant, because, like I say, I felt as though we created next to nothing. They were by far and away the better team in the second half. And you were kind of walking away thinking, meh. That was that was literally mm-hmm. the perfect word that I that I would use to describe it. Just about meh. And to me, you know, the substitutions added to the fact that it highlighted the fact that we do need various additions, one of which has been made today upon the day of recording. Um Ben Woodburn, the Welsh international, twenty one years of age, joins us on a season long loan from Liverpool. Obviously I think last week, I think it was about Tuesday or the day of the podcast release that the news had initially broke. So we didn't get the chance to discuss yeah. Ben Woodburn, given we record on the Monday and then release on the Tuesday. Um, but obviously we've heard of his interest since and now it's signed, sealed, delivered. What are your immediate thoughts, mate? I'm excited. I don't know if I'm excited in that way that you get excited whenever there's a signing. It doesn't matter who it is. It's just like, we've got a new toy. Hooray. Like, they're in. Um, but listen, you cannot argue with the pedigree the boy has. Like, I saw somebody say, how is he only 21? I feel like he's been around for a decade. <laughs> like, the name Bed Woodburn has been around for years and years and years. It was ringing part bells instantly, wasn't it? Yeah, of course. Obviously, part of that is because he's Liverpool's youngest ever goal scorer. He's Wales' second youngest ever goal scorer. Those type of stats will obviously jump out at fans of the club he's joining. Um, The biggest thing for me, though, is he's a 10 who can also play out wide. That's huge. He's a creative player. He's very young. He's very quick. He likes to have... I listened to his interview. He likes to have the ball at his feet and run at players and create things. And he didn't really speak about goals. He spoke about assists a lot, which is exactly what you want. And that's something that I wanted to ask you because I had assumed that he was... or that he had that versatility to kind of play over the front three positions. He's been given the number nine shirt. Is this... Sean Clare vibes or can he actually play through the middle what, what do you think I think it's, I think it's Sean Clare vibes That's gonna because he can also boxing by the way can I just say he's also this is the weird thing speaking earlier about cover for Michael Smith Jurgen Klopp has three times played him at right back as well good grief imagine that there's a thought so um I mean in Klopp's fairness this maniac, is literally man <laughs> but this is literally Sean Clare where we brought him in to be an attacking player and then he was good at right back. Like, or we say a glorified Sean Clare. Yes. Um, I'm excited. The pedigree's had also even better that the rumour was it was going to be until January, but we've got it for the full season. That's huge. Obviously, a lot of people are looking at him like Ginelli 2.0, where if he has a good season, he's out of contract and we could pick him up. I would first of all say let's see him kick a ball first but secondly it's not quite as simple as Ginelli where 
Gino was, I don't think we had to pay a development fee to Preston. We would have to pay a development fee to Liverpool even if we sign him on a free. Because of the age, isn't it? I think it's over the age yeah. of 23. And I think you're right. I think Ginelli was 23, so it was a free transfer in essence. Ben Woodburn's 21, so will demand that development fee. I also think that wages could potentially be a Wages is block. the biggest thing. So, Wait, there's no way he's going to go from Liverpool wages to us. Even if he has a no. 30 goal a season season I doubt he would because if he does do that potentially more premiership sides <laughs> yeah or, but championship sides at the very least will be in for him uh, obviously all due respect to Ginelli I love him but Preston is not the same level as Liverpool oh wow you just offended Rick Harrison as well that's just I know I'm sorry I'm sorry Rick wow oh, so- that's well, you just no. firing shots at North End for no apparent listen, reason listen I like Preston North End I like Preston. I had a Preston North End top when I was with because Toivo Moylihan went, he left us and went and he did his karate and goes for them. I, I remember him. I've seen us play Preston in Preston. Got beat 1-0 for his own goal. That was class. Neil Alexander in goals flapping at it. I have a lot of good memories. Yeah, I have a lot of good memories associated with Preston and they've given us Joe Savage and Josh Ginelli. So I'm not putting down Preston. And I'm just saying Alex Neil down the line. We're not getting into that <laughs> now, for fuck's sake. Um, uh, all I'm saying is, they can't give the same amount of money that Liverpool can. No. No, and, and listen, I, I think there was kind of a spanner thrown in the works. I don't know whether you saw it, or this was just one of those you know, non-existent rumours, but I had seen that both Swansea City and Cardiff City were registering an interest. So the two Welsh Championship clubs... Don't know whether they were just trying to throw a wee spanner in the works there and prevent Woodburn from coming to Hearts, but um, obviously you touched on his interview. I've actually got the quotes that he said for those that missed it. So um, he spoke to Hearts TV and said that I'm delighted to be here and get the deal done. It's been a couple of weeks now that I've known Hearts were interested and now I'm here. I just can't wait to get started. When I heard about the interest, I was buzzing. I spoke to Andy Robertson. He talked about mm-hmm. a few of the boys he knows. He said, there's a good bunch of lads here and I should enjoy it. I spoke to the manager before I came up and he had a vision for me and I agreed with what he thought. It was a good combination. Joe Savage has helped me. He's made me feel very welcome. It just looks like a massive club. I can't wait to play in front of the fans and see the atmosphere. I'm buzzing to be here and hopefully I can prove to them that I can be a great player for you. I think with the games coming that versus Hibs is a definitely one to look forward to. I've heard about the rivalry and that's something I'd love to be involved in. I can't wait. Music to my ears. What's your thoughts? Yeah, it's the guy that Robertson knows Naismith, I'm assuming. Like, no, Naismith's here... I think it's Gary McKay, Stephen, and John Souter from their time at United. Of course. So I was thinking, I was like, that was my what's a connection? That I thought. Yeah. So no, that's I, I'm fair. assuming that it's uh, Soapy and GMS from the United days. I'm assuming. Um, and it's probably also Neesmith from the Scotland on. aspect as well. And CG as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, so of course yeah. it's Gordon. So, I forgot they played together at international level. So yeah, no, it's. I mean, it is bizarre that one of the best left-backs in the world is encouraging Ben Woodburn to sign on loan for Hearts. You know, we're massive. Maybe he's shite, though. No, but maybe he's shite and Robertson's a Hibs fan secretly and <laughs> he's trying to fuck us up. He's a boyhood Celtic fan, isn't he? Yeah, Andy he is. Robertson. Yeah, yeah, see, he's he raging at us for us. beating them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, he's raging <laughs> at us. So, um, no, it's, listen, it's fantastic. 
it's objectively good that he pointed out the Hibs game. I know it just so happens to be the first home game that he'll get to play in, but still. Oh. What a fucking first home game that he'll be playing in. Uh, but yeah, listen, very excited. It's another option. The problem so far this season has been that if either GMS or Gino have bad games like they did at the weekend, we have no one to be able to put them out on that side. Woodburn provides us a different option, and that's fantastic. And I'm I'm really excited to see what he does. And we take on his teammate Andy Robertson, one of Robbo's former clubs in Dundee United at Tannadice this weekend, a match where Ben Woodburn could potentially make his debut. Um, when we went around the grounds, we obviously spoke about United claiming a win at Tayside Rivals St Johnston by a goal to nil at McDermott Park. Um, one of you know numerous sides on six points. I think this will be tough, even with the absence of Peter Pollock. Obviously, they've lost Lauren Shankland in the window. You tipped United for relegation at the start. What are you thinking now, having picked up a potential six points from nine and only really looking poor in the Premiership at Pataudry in their defeat to Aberdeen? They're so weird. <laughs> They're so weird this season. So in Last the, season, they um, the same as well, mate. Honestly. In the English Premiership, I've said I wouldn't be surprised if Aston Villa got top six or were relegated <laughs> just on the way that they've been in the last couple of weeks and losing Grealish. You're saying I that's think United Dund- with Shankland. <laughs> yeah, Dundee United are quite comparable. And I wouldn't be surprised if they got top six or were relegated. Like, because on their day, they've looked good. Like, the Rangers game, they had a game plan, they executed it well and got the result. Against Aberdeen, they looked like 11 guys who had never met each other before. <laughs> all met up and played a game of football so and supposedly they were poor against their United as well in the Premier Sports Cup you know last season when I was doing the Premiership previews I genuinely don't think I got a single United score right bar the St Johnston meeting on the opening day in which they drew one each honestly they proved my my trickiest team to try and predict I genuinely labelled them bipolar because I did not have a clue what was going on and it seems as though this sort of wacky nature is continuing in, in this season. I think... Oh, I don't know. I think Tam Court, because he's so young and new in the game, I think he's going to have massive highs this season and really low lows. I think they're going to just, as you say, just like on one day could turn up and beat anybody and then a week later could get battered by anybody. What I hope is, is that they have that kind of... Because they seem to have so far been having good, bad, good, bad. They were awful against Aberdeen. Yeah, week by week. Rangers. Yeah. Then they get really narrowly win against Ayr and were apparently terrible. Then do really well against St. Johnson. And it's like, I ho- we are next for them. They have to go down <laughs> again. I've been so, telling myself the exact same thing all day. I'm, honestly, it's mad how you pick up like these little superstitions. I'm literally thinking... Peter Pollock's going to be suspended. They're due a shocker. Surely it's got to happen at Tannadice against us. And but, by the same score, we can't be as bad as we were on Sunday. Surely. But it's us away from home, which yeah. means anything. <laughs> anything could happen. And, like the Aberdeen game, we could potentially equal our away win tally for the, our last Premiership campaign, given... We only won two from 15 games, at both home and away, the last time we were in the Premiership. We're already on two wins. So, it's baffling. Um, 
I really don't know what to expect from United because I do think that they've got a decent squad on paper. I think they've got a couple talented players. I know they've had a pretty quiet window. They've only really brought in Trevor Carson, who played in goal, obviously, at, at the St. Johnston game, um, and Charlie Mulgrew, and that's really been it, having lost Shankland as well. It's weird. I think you're probably going to ask me for my team, and I have a very simple answer. Yeah. I'd play the same team, but take out Halliday for Kingsley if he's back. In that position, I, you're wanting to chuck him out of left wing back, aren't you? Yeah, so I, I want him left wing back. I will say that all hinges on whether or not we have Cami Devlin. Because if we have Cami Dev- Devlin, I'd like to see a duo of Benny and Devlin in the middle of the park. I actually thought that I'd quite like to see Peter Haring dropped as well. And it's interesting now you've thrown Devlin into the mix because I actually wanted to see what Aaron McInef could do. I don't think he's really been given mm-hmm. a fair crack of the whip as of yet so far this season. Um, and we touched on you know him coming on at the weekend. Yes, he wasn't great, but you can't tell me that he was any worse than Big Pete was in, in my personal opinion. So I'd be inclined to give Aaron McInef a chance alongside Benny, see how the two of them get on. But I'm glad it's Robbie's decision to make and not ours. Let's put it that way. That's the thing. And... We obviously at the start of the season spoke about where do you want to be when we get past this very tricky opening five games because after that we have the easier fixtures. Weirdly, I don't think we've had a well, I don't not that I don't think it's right to say that in the league we haven't had a performance overall that you go that was good. We've had I agree. We've had moments in the Celtic game particularly the first 15 and the last 15 but then the major- the middle part was poor the opening 25 then, of the St Mirren game and whatnot. yeah yeah, yeah. No, I, f- then, I fully agree mate so it's weird to be able to say that yes we've not we've never had a great performance yet we've got problems where people go I'd drop him I'd drop him I'd bring him back in and yet we're unbeaten and we're joint top so it's quite a good headache for Robbie to have in the sense of it's great that we're not playing amazing but still getting the results so Robbie has the ability to kind of tinker with it and go right we're we're doing alright but we just need to play a bit better as compa- no. uh, um, in comparison to Levine's we were speaking about it before the uh, we started recording in the 1920 Levine had quite a settled side and I think a lot of play- people are going this side should be good. This side on paper looks good, but just couldn't get it going at all. Whereas we're kind of the opposite here, where it's like, oh, that could be a weak link. That could be a weak link. But it so far hasn't really been a weak link because we've been getting the results. It's a weird start to the season. It's an objectively good one because seven points from your opening nine, when you look at the opposition, you would have bitten... like. Remember at the start of this season when you were like, I think we're going to get seven points in total for the opening five game, and you'd be chuffed with that. We've already got it at the first time of asking. Yeah, and and we also spoke before we came on air that, bizarrely, whilst we're left disappointed with the weekend, <laughs> it's just so hearts. Like, we beat Celtic and get over the Paisley hoodoo, and the easiest... Whilst it's still a tricky fixture, given their our decent recent record, 
is Aberdeen at Tynecastle, and yet that's the one we've dropped points in, having not taken advantage of their fatigue, the transition that they're in, and whatnot. Um, but like you say, an away day is coming. One that we've actually not had in a while, obviously, with going up to Tannadice. Mm-hmm. Yep. You've mentioned your team. What are you saying will be the full-time score? Well, I got the result right last week in terms of a draw. You I did. Thought we'd dro- I thought we'd drop points, but I thought it would be a bit more exciting and a two-all draw <laughs> instead of a one-all draw. Um, I'll be honest, I'm going with one-all this weekend. Damn it. <laughs> and have you also went one all? Yes. <laughs> for fuck's sake! I have. I just... I don't know. I'm looking at it from the point of... I'm disappointed with the weekend because I feel as though we've got to make Tiny a fortress again. You know, that that last time that we were in the Premiership, 2 from 15 is not great reading. And I feel as though we should be looking to win the vast majority of our home games and then any points on the road are pretty much a bonus. I'd settle for a point most weeks. However, obviously that St Mirren victory, I'm certainly not complaining with that. Wouldn't be surprised if we go up and beat United. Wouldn't be surprised if we got beat by United. So, I don't know. It's just, they're bipolar. We've had a decent start. I don't know. I I really don't know. I think this is probably the trickiest game to call this weekend. We are in a very weird position just now as Hearts fans because, I don't mean you and me specifically as Hearts fans, I mean the fan base in general, because for the last couple of years, you've kind of always known where you stood. It was like, two years ago, this is shit. This is atrocious. This is the worst thing in the world. Last season, it was like, right, we're not playing great, but we're winning most weeks, so Hearts fans are going to be annoyed that we're not doing it at a certain point. Now... I think the majority of Hearts fans don't know how to feel. It's like, on the what we're watching doesn't look great, but the results are. So it's every Hearts fan's like, I wouldn't be surprised bar, if we got beat. By, by the last two. They're not of great course, results, uh, but on the whole, of course, you're, yes, you're bang on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, if you'd say to a Hearts fan, oh, by the way, three games in, you'll be seven points joint top of the league unbeaten. It would have been no one not what yeah if it's the championship I but this is this season. Every Hearts fan can't go into a game confident we'll batter someday, but every Hearts fan now can no longer say oh I think we're going to get beat here and it would be an obvious thing. Like regardless of who we play, if we play Livingston, we go we might get beat here but we also might batter them. If we play Celtic, it's like we might beat them but we also might get battered. It's so weird just now. I don't know what to do. No, that, that makes two of us, mate, and I think that's both reflected in our, in our scoreline prediction. So we're both saying one each. Yes. Obviously, obviously yeah. hope we're both wrong and that we can pick up a, a valuable three points up at Tannadice, given, yeah, a, a rare fixture, but one that I'm, I'm looking forward to. 100%. So, massive, massive thank you for giving us a listen. Probably a bit of a weird episode because, as we said, meh was kind of the summary. Meh is probably going to be the title of this episode. I think so as well. Because it's just, we're in a bit of a weird position just now, but this is the, one of those episodes where I'm most interested to hear you guys' thoughts because you might have think that we're spot on here and going, yeah, you don't really know. Or you might go, no, I have very clear opinions and we're awful. Or I have very clear opinions and we're going to win the league. So I'm very excited to hear all that. But massive, massive thank you for listening 
thank you all for entering the competition as well last, uh, two weeks ago we will be getting more and more of them out as we continue to grow but yes we have been Perta Paisley you can get us on all good social media platforms at Perta Paisley it's below us in the video version and then that is what it is audio we're also pertapaisley at gmail.com if you want to throw us an email with some questions we're also on youtube where you can see the visual version of this so please leave us a like and subscribe on that we're on all podcast platform platforms that doesn't even make sense i'm losing it it's been an hour and 15 minutes now so please leave us a review on all of them we've actually noticed an intake in that and people have been leaving us reviews and we can't thank you enough for that. Like the feedback helps so much, and it has had us kind of be pushed up in the algorithm. We don't know why, but it's massively helpful. Adam, where can people get you on social media? They can get me on all the socials at Adam T Kendall. And what about yourself, mate? I'm at dmcaver 22 We'll be back next week to discuss the Dun United game, how Ben Woodburn did if he made an appearance, any other potential signings, and we'll be previewing any and all other news but until then we'll see you next time bye bye keep the faith I'm on the JTs <laughs>